following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Invite you to turn now in your Bible. Our sermon text is Luke chapter seven. I suppose that for many people, the Old Testament prophets are primarily foretellers. That is, telling the future about what God will do. And the Bible certainly presents that aspect of what prophets are. But I would suggest that primarily prophets are foretellers. They tell the truth. They represent God's truth to the people. Well, Moses is the prototype of the biblical prophets. And in Deuteronomy 18, as Moses is preparing for his departure from earth, he has this to say to Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. On the mountain where Jesus was transfigured before the eyes of Peter, James, and John, the voice from heaven said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus Christ speaks and acts as the very prophet of God who comes in the likeness of Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, and the others. In fact, he is more than a prophet as we see in four encounters. For brevity's sake, I'm only going to read verses 1 through 17, the encounter with the centurion and the widow, and save select passages and a summary for Jesus' encounter with John the Baptist and Simon the Pharisee. Please follow as I read Luke 7. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. 
As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole country of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is God's holy and inspired word. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have made yourself known through the prophets of old, and most importantly through Jesus Christ, the one great prophet who fully represents you in truth, in word, in deed. Speak to us, we ask, through your precious word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A pet peeve for many is people who don't listen. Parents labor tirelessly to get their children to listen, to follow and heed instruction. Teachers implore their students. Coaches command their players to listen and pay attention to careful instruction. When there's heated conflict in a marriage between parents and children, among family members or neighbors, oftentimes there is a failure to listen. Listening is hard work. It requires us to lay aside our distractions. We must close our mouths and open up our ears. We have to pay attention, to engage, to inquire further, to understand. God sought his people's attention by sending them the prophets. And he sent them both to the insiders in Israel as well as the outsiders, the surrounding nations. God expects his people to listen. Well, when God's people in large measure failed to listen, God sent his son who came in God's own image, born in human likeness to get our attention by his amazing deeds and piercing words of truth. In our passage, Jesus fulfills his prophetic role to both outsiders and insiders. In these four encounters, we see Jesus, the bold and compassionate prophet, whose deeds of mercy and words of truth aim to lead all of us to faith and repentance. As God spoke to Israel and to the disciples of the Mount of Transfiguration, listen to him. Luke here records that a Roman centurion had a servant near death. His concern for this servant was rare. But even more rare was the concern and the affection of the Jews towards this Gentile. The Jews come in a delegation to Jesus asking for his intervention. See, this centurion represented an empire that oppressed Israel. And he's a peculiar man who feared God, who respected the Jews, who made allies and friendships with them and loving them, even building for them a house of worship. And so perhaps in response to this display of compassion, Jesus goes with compassion to heal this relatively unimportant servant of a Gentile. 
You see, the centurion was an outsider to Israel. And his outsider status made it unclean for Jesus to enter into his home. And so when the centurion recognized the dilemma, he resolved to not trouble Jesus with this task, nor harm his reputation among the Jews. And so he humbly asked Jesus not to come, because he was unworthy. But he compliments his humility with a bold expression of faith in Jesus' prophetic power to heal from a distance at the word of command, comparing him to a commander who gives orders that are carried out along the chain of command. In response, it says, Jesus marveled. He even boldly says his followers that even in Israel he had not found such faith. Listen to the kind of faith our Lord commends. A humble faith. A bold faith. An other-centered faith. A God-glorifying faith of God's mercy and grace. When the next scene, we see Jesus and his followers coming upon a funeral procession led by a widow who has been bereaved of her only son there at the gates of the city of Nain. We might assume she was an Israelite, but in many ways she would have been considered little better than an outsider. She would have been considered cursed. Perhaps reaping what she had sown, now left destitute by the loss of her husband and her only son with no one to care for her. Such was the common prejudicial thinking of that time. Like Elijah and Elisha, who came to the aid of destitute widows, Jesus approaches the woman with compassion, consoling her with these words, Do not weep. Hope and power have arrived. And Jesus does a bold thing, reaching out and touching the coffin. A very unclean thing to do, especially for a non-family member. But even more boldly, Jesus commands the dead man to rise. Jesus restored livelihood to this woman. And the people's faith that God was with them. The people respond by glorifying God, proclaiming that a great prophet has risen among us. See and hear the message. Jesus was not made unclean by touching the dead man's coffin. Rather, his overwhelming presence of life brought healing and life to this young man, making him clean. Listen to the one who raises the dead who gives hope to the destitute, who lifts the countenance of mourners, who is indeed Emmanuel, God with us. Over my Christmas holiday in my junior year of high school, I went on a ski trip with my youth group to Monarch, Colorado. And it was there that I had a dilemma of needing to depart early from the trip to get down to Pueblo, Colorado, and catch a bus to get on an airplane in in, uh, Denver, Colorado, to join my parents across the country in Tennessee for New Year's. And my dilemma was getting a ride down the mountain. 
And when the ski lodge was no help to me, there was a gentleman, gentleman by the name of Jack Morrison who overheard my distress and came to my aid and offered me a ride for the next day. And gratefully, I went on my way, and the next day when we met up, we loaded my baggage into his car, and not five minutes into this hour-long car ride down the mountainside, Jack made the bold step to challenge me with a question that I will never forget. He said, Tucker, as he heard anxiety in my voice, Tucker, what is the worst thing you've ever done? And I believe that the the spirit of prophecy was working through Jack, eager to reach a troubled youth. And right there I confessed to this man things that I had never told anybody. As I opened up my heart and revealed my sin, Jack responded with the message of the gospel explaining to me that God sent his son to die for sinners, to offer forgiveness and relationship and reconciliation through faith in Jesus Christ, the only Savior of sinners. You see, up to that point, I had pretended to be an insider, but I was truly an outsider. And God sent a messenger to bring me inside. It was a compassionate thing that this 67-year-old man did for a 17-year-old kid, giving up a few hours of his vacation day, and to go on to boldly ask me such a personal question to pierce my heart, to open up the floodgates of guilt and shame, and receive a tsunami of grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. I believe on that day I was a recipient of a prophetic deed of compassion, and boldness when I first heard and believed the gospel message. Jack's deed was a small sacrifice of time and investment, but done in the likeness of the one who offered the great sacrifice to provide redemption for all who will humble themselves, repent, and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came in the flesh, representing God his Father, and representing God's compassion upon sinners and boldly confronting our greatest need. Not only healing from our diseases and deliverance from oppression, but forgiveness of our sins and rescue from the holy wrath of God. Jesus, the Son of God, was born in the flesh, in the likeness of sinful man, to bring forth boldness, a bold and compassionate act a prophetic witness demonstrating God's love for needy people. Jesus came down. He got dirty in the messy lives of people. Jesus became unclean so that you and I might become clean. He became poor so that you and I, by his poverty, might become rich. You and I were outsiders, but have now been brought in as insiders in the family of God. Listen to him who reaches outsiders, those who don't fit in, the outcast, the unclean, the marginalized, those who are different, who look out of place in God's church. Listen to him who also has a message for insiders. 
John the Baptist was an insider. With a fiery outsider spirit criticizing the religious hypocrisy and corruption of that day, John was imprisoned for confronting the king's immorality. He was revered by the people. Even Jesus commended him as more than a prophet, a forerunner. He was the Elijah preparing the way for Christ. John was zealous in pursuing righteousness and justice. He was eager for the judgment of God to begin. It was John who boldly declared that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But now John doubts questioning whether Jesus was truly the one sent. He see, things were not turning out as he expected. He questioned whether Jesus was the one they should expect, and so he sent his disciples to ask him. Jesus was gracious with those disciples and not offended by their inquiry. But it says in the text that on that very hour, before the eyes of the disciples, Jesus healed people of their diseases, plagues, and evil spirits. Jesus showed his answer. And then Jesus went on to say very matter-of-factly, report back to John the things you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus fulfilled Everything that Israel should have expected from the great prophet promised to them who would usher in the kingdom of God through acts of compassion, demonstrating God's mercy on a people oppressed by sin and the evil one. After listing his credentials, Jesus says something peculiar. He says, blessed is the one not offended by me. Jesus said things that were challenging to outsiders who did not understand their need for a Savior. He said hard things. Anyone who will not take up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Whoever will not eat my flesh or drink my blood will have no part in me. Commanding us to die to self. And he who would be first must be slave of all. Jesus also challenged insiders. The religious people who had certain expectations of God doing things in certain ways. Anyone who does not hate his mother or father cannot be my disciple. Jesus spent time with people of disrepute, the unworthy, the unwanted, those who were offensive to the religious people, as we see in the next episode. John has some doubts about Jesus, but Simon the Pharisee has major misgivings, even questioning whether Jesus is a prophet. He had invited him to dinner, and as was custom of that time, the common folk were generally permitted to come and observe the dining among the privileged. And here comes a woman who makes herself at home. To the great embarrassment of Simon and a potential scandal for Jesus, we can only imagine how awkward the social setting would have been. As this woman of disrepute, this notorious woman, comes weeping, and using, letting down her hair to wipe the dirt off of Jesus' feet, kissing him, anointing him with the scent of her former trade. How could Jesus possibly be a prophet if he did not know who this woman was? 
Surely a man of God would have nothing to do with a woman such as her. You see, Simon held the view that the purpose, the function of religion was to keep people out. Erect high standards, which only the faithful will be permitted into the house of worship and find favor with God. Jesus overthrew all of the Pharisaical expectations. First, by refusing to turn this woman away and just letting Simon stew in his awkward, sanctimonious, self-righteous fury. Second, he proceeds to give Simon a parable of two debtors, one who had a high debt, one who had a lower debt, and when neither could pay, the creditor graciously canceled both debts. And he tests Simon with a question, who will love the creditor more? Simon answers, well, I suppose the one who owed the greater debt. Jesus says, you are correct. Simon knew the answer to that question. But he did not know much about God's love and grace. You see, Simon acted as one who had it all together. One whom should be, to whom should be looked up to. Who, let, who held God in his debt through his rigorous attempts at righteousness. Jesus confronts Simon for his failure and gratitude, his neglect in meeting Jesus' needs, neither greeting him warmly or washing his feet. He even exposes the contempt that Simon held in his heart, doubting Jesus, Jesus as a prophet which no doubt Simon would have been quite aware of the awesome displays of power that Jesus had demonstrated to the crowds. Here Jesus upholds this unnamed woman, commending her devotion, her humility, gratitude, her service, her lavishness, her loyalty, as demonstrated by her commitment to leave behind her sinful lifestyle. You see, this changed woman was still in many ways a wreck, a mess, and yet she pleased God. Listen to what the prophet says. Which of these two were justified before God? The proud Pharisee or the humble sinner? The one who did everything right, who did not have a need to confess? Or the wretch who had much sin and yet great gratitude for God's grace and forgiveness. Simon failed to see boldness and compassion right before his very eyes. He was a rule follower. See, grace is for those who follow the rules, not the rule breakers. Simon failed to see how his own doubts his own judgmental thoughts towards this woman were just as heinous in the sight of God as this woman's past. He thought he was a lender when he was truly a debtor himself. And Jesus demonstrates that he is the true prophet because he sees right through the pretense, exposes this man's heart, and tells him a parable that hits him right between the eyes. The woman needed life transformation. Simon needed a heart transplant. 
He needed his world turned upside down. He needed to spend less time consumed with the rules of keeping insiders in and keeping outsiders out, of scrutinizing Jesus to determine whether or not he was one of them, and more time relishing God's abundant grace, which he needed just as much as every other person in Luke chapter 7. During the Christmas break of my junior year of college, I went to a conference put on by Campus Crusade for Christ. And while there, I had the privilege of seeking the private counsel of Dan Hayes, the conference main speaker. And it was at that time that I was wrestling with a transition, shifting away from a vocational focus on medicine to considering a a call into vocational ministry. And I was burdened with anxiety and questions about ministry calling. I was thinking about possibly going on staff with Campus Crusade. And during that hour, Dan spoke two very pointed and prophetic things to me. The first was he really challenged my motives about why I wanted to do ministry. And he also exposed a couple of flaws about Campus Crusade, which were true at that time. Crusade had a a, uh, reputation for recruiting talented young students with the appeal of doing the cutting edge of ministry, being on the front lines of ministry, of really changing the world. And sometimes that lends itself to the proud and the ambitious and the determined of which I was truly guilty in many ways. Dan challenged me to follow Christ, to follow Christ where he would lead me in ministry. The second prophetic thing Dan said to me is common wisdom in our culture, but it spoke to my heart when he said, Tucker, stop taking yourself so seriously. Because he could see in my earnestness and my zeal and my anxiety that this drive and this performance-drivenness, a man who wants to do things, a man who wants to accomplish things, a man who wants to perform in ministry. He got underneath my perfectionism and helped me to see that God really didn't need me, that I needed him, and that I need to die to my own tendency to rely upon my own skills and strengths trusting in my own abilities rather than depend upon the Lord. You see, I'm like Simon. At that time, I realized I had been an insider for four years and easily prone to that pharisaical way of zeal and passion and yet sometimes missing the point. I, too, need a deep immersion in grace. I need my own heart exposed I had been an outsider who needed the intrusion of God's prophet of truth and compassion into my world. But as an insider, I am just as needy for truth, for exposing my heart, for showing me grace and compassion, for increasing my dependence upon the Lord. You see, in Luke 7, The outsiders recognized Jesus as the prophet of God. It was the insiders who struggled, perhaps blinded by their own zeal and goodness and righteousness. You want to be zealous for the Lord? Well, that's good. You want to pursue righteousness? Well, that's that's great. 
But listen to what the prophet commends. God is not looking for religious performers. Those who were as zealous and devoted as John or religiously orthodox as Simon, God is pleased with people who need him. God is pleased with people who cry out to him, who depend upon him this Christmas. Listen to the prophet who came in humble conditions, whose words and deeds deeds demonstrate God's compassion upon the weak in boldness to overturn all of our religious expectations. May your heart prepare him room with a ready repentance and a joyful faith. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our prophet. To speak the truth to us, to show God's grace and compassion to us, to turn our hearts in sight out. And I pray that you would do that for each of us this Christmas, that we would glorify you in our hearts and with our words of praise. We bless you and praise you. Amen.